Good morning, gentlemen. We are holding the fifth aliyah of the parsha of Kiseitse, which begins by talking about the rights that a worker has in when he works. Just we talk about slaves, uh, we don't look at people as objects. A person is a person. Even if they work for you, you have to treat them with the dignity and respect that a human being deserves. And so therefore the Torah tells us, if you have workers that are coming in your field as harvesters, they come during the season when the field is ripe, and they're picking the grapes or whatever it is that they're putting into the, into the buckets, into the baskets to take home, you must allow them to eat as many grapes as they desire. Meaning, as they're working with fresh food, you can't say you can't eat it. It's, it's suffering to them. And this only applies when the food is ripe. Not when, you know, they're, if they're working and they're, they're, they're plowing the field, there's nothing to eat, you're not obligated to feed them. And they're not allowed to take any food home with them either. It's just while they're working, they're allowed to, as they're working, to take a grape and to eat it, or any other ripe food, they're allowed to eat it as they're, as they're working, but they can't take it home and they can't gorge themselves. Similarly, the same thing is with the grain, that, uh, that, uh, they, that they can take pieces by themselves, but they can't use a sickle to uh, eat the kernels, etc. Okay, then the Torah says, but aside for that, we have the laws of marriage and divorce. So the Torah tells us, if a man will take a wife and after they're together, they're intimate with each other, he decides no longer likes her anymore. She becomes unfavorable to him because he finds in her an ervas dover, an abomination, a disgusting act that she has done. So there's two reasons given here. One is he no longer finds favor, she no longer finds favor in his eyes, or she did something, she cheated, she did something morally wrong, which means that you have two different reasons why you could go to divorce. Even for any reason the husband wants, theoretically he wants, he says, I no longer am in love with you, I don't like the way you cook, whatever it is. He, 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 it's called no fault. No fault, is, it's less than no fault, it has to be a fault, but the fault could be anything. Or, if she, missed, if she was immoral and had cheated or was a sota or something like that, he's obligated to divorce her. So in those cases, he writes for her a get. Now what is a get called in the Torah? A safer prisus. A book of separation. That's the, that's the biblical term for it. A book of separation. The Nasan Biyadi must place it into her hand and he must send her out of her house. So there's a few things over here. There's actually 10 conditions of divorce. I'm going to go through all of them. But the point is he has to write for her. It says, It needs to be written specifically for her sake. You cannot go into a Judaica store and buy a pre... Uh, just like a Ksuba. Even a Ksuba has to be filled in. Has to be written for the person, <coughs> but the, but this is different actually. This entire get is written by the scribe for the for the uh, for the for this particular divorce, um, and then there has to be a separation. Meaning, it can't be attached. You can't write it on the tree. You can't write it on something which is not separable. That you give it to her, and it remain, becomes hers. So let's say you wrote it on your paper that like you're not giving up not paper. So you wrote it on your shirt. Whatever, it wouldn't be a, a safer Christian has to be given to her. She has to receive possession of it, and then she's sent for, uh, she goes out. Until she gets possession of it, she's not yet divorced. Now what happens if she went out, she married another man, and then the second man also doesn't like her, and the second man also writes her a safer Christus, a book of separation, and also gives it to her. Or if the second man dies, so now she's a widow, and she wants to remarry the first man. She says, the Torah, the first husband is no longer allowed to take her back to her. Because once he sent her away, 
and made her to become a wife to another person, she has now become defiled to him by being with this other man and uh, to be an abomination in the eyes of God to bring her back. Meaning, a husband could remarry a woman that he divorced if she has not remarried in the interim. So let's say they get divorced, and after they get divorced, say, I regret it, I really miss you, I want to remarry you, that could be done. But once she's remarried to somebody else, she now can no longer ever become remarried to the first husband. It says the Torah, don't do that, be an abomination, I would make the land disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Meaning, the Torah is afraid people might like, make like, you know, do uh, just mixed marriages. They'll swing back and forth. So therefore you can't do that. Okay. Then the Torah says, if you have a new wife, person got married, so the order is a little unique here. First talks about divorce, then talks about the, the marriage and the new husband. You have something called Shana Rishona. Shana Rishona means the first year of marriage. During the first year of marriage, you have an obligation to make your wife happy. You do it all of the years of your marriage. But during the first year, especially with an obligation not to go to the army, not to go to war, you must stay home for one year. Says the Torah, you must gladden his wife whom he has taken. So you have an obligation to be there for her. So for a man that just got married during the first year of marriage, he's not allowed to go to the army. Same is also with the, with the vineyard and with the new home, that during the first year you're allowed to leave the army to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But there's a special Torah repeating here regarding to a husband, because not only do you not have to go to the army, but you have a mitzvah asay, a, a, a positive command on the husband to be focused on rejoicing with his wife and making his wife happy in the marriage that they uh, took together. In fact, there's a custom that some people during the Shana Rishon, they don't sleep even one night apart from each other. That they, that, that, you know, if, let's say your husband's traveling, whatever, to make sure he's back the same night, not to spend even one night in a different city, not uh, together with his wife. And the Torah talks about collateral. That if you have lent a person money, you cannot take his tools or his millstone or anything that he needs to live as collateral for the loan. So you're allowed to take collateral, but you cannot take, if he's a poor man, if he's a musician, take his violin, you're taking away his uh, parnasa. You can't take his violin as collateral for the loan that you lent him. Uh, here the example is a millstone, the upper millstone, the lower millstone, that's how he grinds, he won't have a way to make it. If a person kidnaps a person, they are put to death if there's witnesses that witness the kidnapping, they warn them of the kidnapping, they witness him being sold as a slave, and it still happens, the kidnapper is put to death. Torah mentioned about Saras, there's a whole list of things here, about Saras, that the Torah says, to be very careful, we mentioned earlier in the parasha about not plucking out the white hairs of your hair, not to dress like a woman, um, so here it says regarding the hair of Tsaras, be careful not to pluck it out, not to pull it out, because you've been guarded already uh, about this very much, and the Torah throws in a beautiful verse. We say it every morning after we finish davening. We have six things that we are required to remember every single day. The six remembrances. Says the Torah, Zachar, remember this that Hashem did to Miriam on the way when you were traveling out from Egypt. What did God do to Miriam? It doesn't say what He did to her. We just have to remember. Well, let's remember. What did He do to Miriam? Yeah, she got Saras. She had spoken evil. Yeah, evil. I'll take it back. She just slandered. It wasn't even evil. It was true. It was true, interesting information about Moshe. That Moshe was no longer intimate with his wife Zipporah. But because she shared this private information, 
that was not public and she shared it, therefore she got leprosy, she got saras, not leprosy. Well, correct. And therefore you need to remember that, so when you remember how God published Mirf is doing Lashon Hara, it will remind you not to speak Lashon Hara the same way. Exactly. Now the Torah goes back to the collateral. Now we already talked earlier in the uh, parsha about lending money to a Jew without interest. That uh, Jew, it's a mitzvah, both a mitzvah's asay and a mitzvah's losase, a positive and negative mitzvah, to lend to a Jew without interest and not to lend to a Jew with interest. So now when you lend money to a Jew, especially with no interest, you want to make sure you're going to get your money back. So you have collateral. Okay? And so here it goes on more laws about the collateral, where he explains that the collateral has to be something, although you're allowed to ask for collateral, you're not allowed to go into his home to seize it. He has to give it to you. You can't grab something to be the collateral of the loan. In addition, you have to stand outside of his house to ask him for the money. In addition, you need to return to him the collateral every time that he needs it. So, if it's a garment of the night, you can take the collateral in the morning because his blankets, he's so poor, he has no money. He's giving you his blankets and his sheets as collateral. You can take them in the morning as collateral, and at night you got to return them. If he's giving you his, uh, his uh, clothing he wears by day, you got to take them at night and return them in the morning. So you can take the collateral, you have to still be very sensitive to the needs of him in order to allow him to, to, to survive. Some of the people get to debt, what happens when they get to debt? They get to, the debt becomes, an, you know, it's, a, uh, it's like a spiral. So you're like scrambling to pay the debt and the interest, and, like you, and now you, you lost your car, so now you can't go to work. So you get into worse, right? Your car got repossessed, so your, your tools got taken as collateral, so now it's even harder for you to make the money to pay back the loan, etc. Well, it's a domino effect, correct, correct. The Torah is very sensitive to that. In addition, again, the Torah is going back and forth, and there's a, there's a, there's a sequence here, but it's, I'm not sure all the details. Now the Torah goes back to the laws of the employee. We talked about not holding back the collateral of a person that borrowed money from you. What about a worker who worked for you? You may not withhold the wages of a poor or destitute employee, whether he be one of your brothers, meaning he's a Jew, or one of your converts, meaning anyone or even anyone in your land. You have to be careful to pay them back right away, uh, um, uh, right away, in your, without holding back their wages. Meaning, if you promise him his wage on a day, if he's a night worker, you'll pay him in the morning. If he's a day worker, you'll pay him at night. Today, most people are going to pay by the day, they can pay by the week or by the whatever. The end of the week, the end of the cycle, the end of the 15 days, whatever it is, if you hold back the wages, that is a sin in the Torah. That's a sin in the Torah. Why not? Because the Torah says that he may not cry out to you. Since this person is poor, the love who is willing to give his, risk his life to earn the money, he's giving you his soul in order to work for you, and now you're not paying him, you will call it to Hashem, and it'll be a big sin against you for uh, not giving him what he needs. Okay. Uh, the Torah continues, that the fathers must not be put to death by the virtue of their son's testimony, nor must the son be put to death by the virtue of their father's testimony. Meaning that in order to give testimony in court, the person has to be a kosher witness. Kosher witness means that uh, they're, they're not relatives. The person's a relative, he's biased. So if a father comes to testify against his son, even if he's saying, I saw my, my, I, I saw my father, have a great day, Mazatov. I saw my father do whatever sin. I was in the house and he's, he's giving testimony. Why don't we listen to the testimony? 
Because he's a son, he's biased. And the son or a father, really any relative, that's what's called Negev, but they're biased against this person, we don't trust their testimony. Okay. Um, and Torah continues about being sensitive to the convert and to the widow and to the uh, orphan to, um, to not provide judgments against them and that if they are at a disadvantage to help them, you may not take a widow's garment as collateral and the Torah says, you must remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and God took you out of Egypt and therefore just like God took you out of Egypt he redeemed you from your very, very difficult situation so too, do these things even if it will cause you a lot of loss don't be afraid, Hashem will take care of you and it continues with the harvesting of the fields, leaving behind a little bit. That when the uh, poor people will come into the field, after you finish harvesting, anything that you forgot to pick up, if it's less than, uh, you, you left some grain behind you, that's less than two sa'ah, or you left some of it uh, standing, or just a little, little bit, not a lot, it's called shikha, and you forgot it, you must leave it for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans, to be able to come and take it. So too, with a vineyard, you must, uh, so before that, you must leave a corner that you don't, uh, in the corner of the field, when you harvest your grain, you must leave a little bit, that's uh, called the pega, the corner of the field, that is for the poor and for the disadvantaged. So too, when you uh, beat your olive tree, you have what's called the oilulis, you must not remove all of the glory by picking all the fruit, but you should leave some behind for the orphan and for the widow and for the convert. And so too, in the vineyard, when you pick the grapes of your vineyard, you must not leave some behind. In addition, you have what's called the, un- the young grapes that are not yet fully ripened. So you have a full cluster, full cluster of grapes, which is a, uh, to explain, a full cluster has a, uh, a bunch of leaves coming off of the uh, middle, and it's uh, full. That you can harvest. But the oilulis, which are the undeveloped grapes, which did not fully develop, the grapes are hanging directly from the center stem, so it's not like a whole cluster, or there's no accumulation of grapes at the end of the cluster, that's called the oilulis, you should leave those for the poor and for the widow. In addition, this peret, there's a single grape growing on the vine, you shouldn't pick it. You should leave it for the orphan, for the convert, for the widow as well. Okay, so that's what so we have over here, besides for in a grain field, where you have the leket, the shikha, the leket is so what you drop behind, where you drop, the shikha, what you forgot, and the peg is the corner of the field, when it comes to an olive tree or to the vineyard, we have two more additional things, which is the peret and the oilulis, which is the single grapes, or the single olives, and the undeveloped clusters that you leave behind for the, uh, leave behind for the poor, the orphans, the widows, the converts, etc. And again, the Torah repeats, even though this will cause you a loss, like, why should I harvest everything in my field? The more I harvest, the more money I make. So the Torah again repeats, V'zacharta, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and therefore I'm commanding you about this thing this day, that you should not uh, take that which more than I... Don't worry, I took you out of Egypt, and I will take care of you, and I'll make sure that you will have whatever financial needs you need. You can be generous with others, and then I will be generous with you as well. Can I stop over?